trust the Lord will bless us as we're together around His Word. I'm thankful for uh, the Lord blessing me to be be able to be back here with you once again. It's always our privilege to be here at Spring Lake Baptist Church. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15 this morning. In the last hour, we looked together in John chapters 13 and 18 and thought a little bit about the work of our Lord Jesus, particularly of the cross and resurrection as John portrays it there in those words that preface the uh, and in the, the upper room discourses it's commonly called in the prayer of our Lord. And we want to look together this morning at some words from John chapter, did I tell you 15? I was wrong. <laughs> chapter 14 uh, sometimes my tongue gets wrapped around my eye teeth and I can't see what I'm saying I think John chapter 14 we want to look at some words that our Lord spoke to his disciples in anticipation of the cross he was going to the cross he was well aware of that as we saw in the last hour Jesus knowing that the time had come We'll say more about that time in the light of what John says as we look at the Word this morning, the Lord willing. But but Jesus knew that He was going to the cross and He speaks to His disciples about that so that they can have greater understanding of it for themselves. Now that which He sought to give them is something I need too. I need to have a greater understanding of the cross. I need to have a greater understanding of my Lord. I need to know Him better in the pardon and forgiveness that He gives through His blood. I, in every way, I need to know more, as the hymn writer said, and more about Jesus. And so may it be that God would do that for us this morning. <clears throat> By way of a title, I'd give you this. The death of Christ according to Christ. His own words that interpret for us what He is about to experience. And I draw your attention in John 14, not 15, but John 14, to those last three verses of that chapter, verses 29 through 31. We read there the words of our Lord, And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. We look at these words this morning and consider from them the the death of Christ according to Christ. Now there are other words we could use that give to us the Savior's presentation of His sufferings. Of course, this week is known in Christendom as Holy Week by some. The events of the week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Black Saturday, and then Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, as some brethren call it. All of those events are events that loom large on the Christian calendar because of the events as they are related to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him in that work that He came to do. And it's to that that He makes reference here as He anticipates going to the cross and wants His disciples to be as fully settled as possible in what was about to transpire. 
We know as we look at the account of the resurrection that Dr. Luke gives in Luke 24 that a lot of them had not taken to heart fully what our Lord had said. Those two on the Emmaus Road, remember, they said, we, we, we thought that it was He that should have redeemed Israel. Well, He was the one. But they had lost sight. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I'd rather not have to tell you this, but true confessions... So often in my day-to-day living, I lose sight of His Word of truth. And I need to keep that front and center. I need to keep that before me. I, I need to remember what He said because that's the only thing that's going to really get me around the corners of life. That's the only thing that's really going to push me through this life onto the glory. His Word, and that's why it's it's so important that we feed on it personally, that we hear it preached and taught, that we try to surround ourselves. And along those lines, I'd remind you of what our Savior said when the devil tempting him said, because he'd been fasting 40 days, if you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Remember what he said? He quoted the words of Deuteronomy 8.3 and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I tell you, if my Savior, God manifest in the flesh, said that, how much more do I need the Word of God? How much more do I need to feed on it? Take it in. Ingest it. Work it out by the grace of God. Well, let's pray together and ask God to bless His Word to us, please. Father, we bow once again in Thy worthy, Thy holy presence. Father, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus by His shed blood. We give You honor for those songs we have sung today that speak of our Savior's work at the cross. We thank You, Father. Even as, Lord, the prelude was played and we uh, hear those words about our sins, they are nailed to the cross. They are nailed to the cross. We thank You, Father, for the work of our Savior. We pray... In His name, Father, that by Thy Spirit You would now take us to the cross through the words of our Savior. And may we hear His voice. And may we hear Your voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd. May He speak to us as His sheep. And Father, may we, as we leave this place, know that we have met with You. We have met with Him. Father, we rejoice in Thy goodness to us now and ask You to glorify Thyself and benefit us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Amen. Well, again, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, as it's called, Resurrection Sunday, I kind of like that better. Some brethren use that handle. Coming up, April 17th, falling pretty late this year. It shifts because of the new moon and the Passover relationship there. And if I've got it right, it's the it's the Sunday that's after the new moon that's after the vernal equinox. Now, I'll let you figure that out later. I'm not going to explain it. I can explain it to you, but I'm not going to take the time. But it rotates because of that, just like the Passover rotated. But brothers and sisters, the events that transpired there over 2,000 years ago, how significant they are. What took place. And that's what our Savior is speaking of here in these words of verses 29 through 31 of John chapter 14. As he does, there, there are three things I want to ask you to notice. First of all, Christ's speech, what he says. Secondly, 
Christ's silence. He makes reference to that. And then finally as well, Christ's submission. We're going to think about that together. Now, it's sometimes not wise to go ahead and give your outline out because somebody could fall asleep and then act like they heard the whole message, you know. Uh, but I hope you'll stay with me. I believe you will. But the, the, the reality of what our Lord speaks of here is interesting. He speaks of what He wants His disciples to learn. In terms of what he is telling them ahead of time, he speaks then of the fact that he won't be speaking to them for a while. And then he tells them why he is doing what he's about to do and going to the cross. Now in that, I think we have what really becomes a gauge for us of understanding what the cross is all about. There are many, I'm sad to say, who will be in churches next week raising their voices in song or maybe not singing at all, but there. And as they do that, they'll have no real clue as to what the events of Calvary, the events of Golgotha were about, or even the events of the, of the Resurrection Sunday. There'll be no real understanding. And brothers and sisters, one thing we must have, one thing we must know, among all the other things I can learn in this life, I must understand, I must know what took place there at Calvary. It's crucial, it's essential. I won't understand it fully. For eternity won't allow me to unpack all that it took place there. But I must know something for my own soul's good and welfare to know what took place. Let's think together, first of all, about the words of verse 29. Our Savior says there, And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, ye might believe. Here we read of Christ's speech, particularly His prediction, or His telling them beforehand what was going to transpire. And as our Savior does this, the immediate reference to what He's saying is there in the words of verse 28. Notice it. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto my Father, for my Father is greater than I. Here our Lord is talking about something that He has begun back in chapter 13 of John to talk about. He keeps talking about going away. He speaks in chapter 14 in those very familiar words, so often read at funerals, in my Father's house for many mansions. And He says, remember, I go to prepare a place for you. Now oftentimes we think in terms of the going as being going to the Father. I don't think that's inappropriate, but I think more nearly Christ is speaking about going to the cross. For ultimately, the place prepared for sinners was done at the cross. The the, the work that He did there is what prepared a place for me for all eternity. You see, I should have been under the wrath of God in the lake of fire licking up the flames of hell for all eternity. But thank God, because of Calvary, I won't live there forever. I... There's been a change of location. I was preaching up at Main Street Baptist Church. I mentioned Brother Ward, Dennis Ward, Sovereign Grace Bible Conference up there in Lexington, Kentucky, Main Street Baptist Church. Sits on some land that was donated to them back in 1862 by Abraham Lincoln out of the Todd Estate. 
Been married Todd Lincoln House right next door, and then Rupp Arena's right next door to that. Uh, uh, Brother Ward, one time I was preaching for him in what they called their harvest feast, their fall conference. And it's a black church, and you know, things a little bit different in the black church. For one thing, they're a little louder, you know. But it's, it's dangerous for a white man to preach in a black church because he could have a heart attack. All those amens get his heart racing. You know? But uh, we were preaching uh, there, and, 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 and the, the black church has a devotional period. The deacons oversee before they begin the formal regular service, especially on Sunday morning. And as we walked in, they were finishing that devotional period by singing happy birthday to the one of the older saints. And as they finished singing happy birthday, she stood up and pointed and said, I just want to give a little word of testimony. If I'm not next year, you know, I'm not here next year, you know where I'll be. Well, Brother Ward, he never missed a pastoral opportunity. He stood up and he said, I'm always glad when a person can leave a forward an address. <laughs> <laughs> and brothers and sisters, the good news is, I've had a change of forward and addresses by the grace of God. I was a child of wrath, even as others, Ephesians 2, 3 says, but now I've got a change of address. I'm a child of the King. And it's all because of Calvary. I could not help but think as we sang Blessed Redeemer. I remember years ago hearing Brother William Hancock. I imagine Brother Hancock still living and down there at Flint Hill Baptist Church in Robbins, North Carolina. But Brother Hancock was at Bible camp with us up around Hillsville, Virginia. And Brother, uh, Brother Hancock was telling about, I think we may have sung Blessed Redeemer that morning, but it's not either way. Brother Hancock told about seeing Brother Crisco's dad, Miss Pastor M.D. Crisco. He, they had sung Blessed Redeemer in service that morning. And as Brother Crisco sat at his seat on the platform, that he, Brother Hancock said as a teenager, he saw Brother Crisco bent over, weeping as he sang, Blessed Redeemer, Blessed Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, I can do that too because because of Calvary, I have a change of address. And Christ went to the Father, but He went by way of the cross. And because He went by way of the cross, eternity is changed for a multitude that no man can number out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. Hallelujah. And I hope you're among them by the grace of God. You can say, yes, I know. I know I've got a new home. I've got a new address because of what God's grace has done in His Son. And the Lord Jesus is speaking then about this reality of the cross, about the reality of by way of the cross, coming back to His disciples, but then ultimately going back to the Father. And as He does that... He is letting them know beforehand by way of prediction. He is letting them know before it come to pass, as He says in verse 29, that when it is come to pass, they might believe. Now there's the graciousness of our Savior. He's going to the cross. He knows what He's going to experience. And yet He's got His disciples in mind. He's speaking to them beforehand so that they can believe so that they could be confirmed in faith, so that they won't be shaken up. Now they were, but, but ultimately, as we think about Peter, consider what happened to Peter. There he is on that night, our Lord is being taken from judgment hall to judgment hall. I don't know him. And then he starts swearing, I don't know him. And then he starts taking oaths, I don't know him. 
50 days later, you see him on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching. You, by wicked hands, had crucified and slain him, but God raised him up. What happened? Man had been transformed by the grace of God. And what the Lord Jesus had told him beforehand had been ratified now before him. He'd seen it come to pass and he believed. And they say that when Peter was crucified, now this is tradition, history, not, not a Bible. They say when Peter was crucified, he said, don't bury me like my Lord right side up. Bury me head, side, head, head down. Now whether that be true, I don't know, but Peter gave his life ultimately for the gospel. Why? Because his faith had become solid through the work of Christ. That's what the Lord Jesus said he wanted here for his disciples. That they would be brought to that point, brothers and sisters, where they would believe. Now, what Christ is telling them, he had told them already with regard to the events that would take place. If you'll notice in uh, chapter 13, he had referred to his, his cross and to the fact that he was telling them and notice that this is going to sound so much like the words of verse 29 but in John 13, 19 our Lord says now I tell you before it come that when it has come to pass ye may believe that I am he and what he's making reference to there according to verse 18 is Judas betraying him he that has eaten bread with me has lifted up his heel against me Christ knew that Judas was going to betray him. John 6 tells us that. He was aware. And he let his disciples know why. So that when it happened, they could believe. They could know that all of this was something that was in accord with God's plan. It wasn't something that was taking place wildly and confusingly. No. He was in control. Now, let me ask you to notice in chapter 16, similar thought in the words of verse 4. John, our Lord Jesus says, and John records, but these things that I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. Early on, he did not talk about his death during his public ministry. But not only John, also Matthew and Mark and Luke record how at a certain point in his ministry, he began to instruct them about the cross. If you will, you don't need to turn there. You're welcome to, of course. But I'd like to read some words from Matthew 16. And Matthew records for us, immediately after the Lord Jesus had been confessed to be the Christ, the Son of the living God by Peter, there at Caesarea Philippi, After that had happened, in verse 21 of Matthew 16, we read this. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now what's interesting is, you know right after this, many of you recall that after Peter had earlier said, Thou art the Christ, after this Peter said, Lord, that ain't going to happen. You remember what the Lord Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because it had to happen. It must happen. It could not do anything other than happen. This is called the centerpiece of history in Scripture. The death the burial, the resurrection of our Lord. And our Lord is instructing His disciples relative to this. He's letting them know that it's going to happen. Now, uh, in, in 
John's gospel is referred to as my hour, my time. But the, the gospel writers give to us the details. If you will, if you're in chapter 16 of Matthew with me still, notice chapter 17 and verse 9 as our Lord comes down after the transfiguration between before Peter, James, and John. In, in Matthew 17, 9 we read this, And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Uh, one of the other gospel writers said they were discussing, what does the resurrection of the dead mean? You see, they couldn't understand that Messiah was to die. And we read later in the words of verse 12 as they ask him about John the Baptist and Elias or Elijah. Our Lord says, verse 12, But I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. There again, our Lord, letting them know. And you can read other accounts in the Gospels of that. I'd like to read one more from Mark, uh, excuse me, from Luke chapter 9. And as we do, I want to ask you to notice in Luke chapter 9, as Moses and Elijah talked with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, as He was transfigured gloriously before His disciples, notice in Luke chapter 9 what they talked about. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9, uh, we find the details of Moses and Elias. Our Lord's uh, raiment has become white and uh, brighter than any detergent could get it and any fuller, any washer of clothes could get it. And it says this about these two men who appeared with him, Moses and Elijah, in verse 31, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease which he should accomplish in Jerusalem. Spoke about his decease or death. But the interesting word is our, our English word "decease" comes from Latin words that means "go away." And by the way, that's what the Greek word in the New Testament is here: Exodus. You ever read a book named Exodus? The Lord Jesus was going to make an exit. He was going to make an exit by way not only of death, but by way of resurrection and by way of ascension in a glorified body, which had been given him in resurrection. And they were talking about that. Moses and Elijah. And when they got together with the Lord Jesus on the mountain, they had to talk about His coming death. They had to talk about His coming resurrection. Why? Because again, it's the centerpiece of history. It's the climax of history. And these, these men were discussing what Moses had predicted, what Elijah had foretold, what all the prophets looked ahead to. The arrival of God's Messiah, but not only that, the death of the Messiah. God's dear Son so that we might be saved, so that the Gentiles might know blessing, that what sin had done in bringing the curse might be undone through the work of Christ and blessing come to all the nations. And God had spoken of that through His Word. And then, if you're in Luke 9 still, let me just ask you to notice, as our Lord was doing miracles, and they were amazed by them, our Savior in the midst of the miracles, as they wondered, they were amazed at that miracle, said this in Luke 9, 44, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Then Dr. Luke adds, but they understood not. They didn't understand what he was saying. But our Lord had given them testimony after testimony. 
I am going to Jerusalem. I will be betrayed. I will be mocked. I will be judged. I will be condemned by the chief priests. He told them. And he had done all of this, brothers and sisters, in order that they might believe. Now you could add to this in addition to what John says, in addition to what Matthew, Mark, Luke record about our Lord's words to His disciples, the testimony of His words. You could go back to Old Testament prophecy. And you could add the witness of what the Scripture of the Old Testament had foretold. The prophets who, as we said, like Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, we could go on. They had talked ahead about that Messiah who was coming and about the fact that He would be given over to death. He was to die. Now all of this our Lord speaks of here as He says to His disciples, I have told you before it come to pass that when it has come to pass you might believe. One of the greatest evidences is the Bible's truthfulness. I know a lot of people say, oh, that book. You believe that book? Men wrote it. Yeah, they did, but they wrote it as they were inspired by God. Holy Ghost gave it to them. Oh, that book is so old. So is oxygen, but I'm still breathing. (laughs) Some things don't change, you know. Water's old, but I'm going to drink it. Drink some every morning, try to drink it through the day. A lot of things are old. That doesn't make them wrong. You see, that's the idea. People go, oh, it's old. Well, yeah, it's an old book. But truth is old. Thank God for truth. And this word of truth is old. But one of the greatest confirmations of its truthfulness is the fact that things that it spoke of to happen have come to pass. We call it fulfilled prophecy. And there's so many examples of it. But some of the greatest examples are the testimony of the coming of the Son of God as He was given a sacrifice for us. As He died, brothers and sisters, for us. And by those events that were recorded beforehand, you and I can believe, as our Savior says. Let me go on with you please now to John 14 and notice verse 30. And our Savior says here, in speaking of His silence, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now, really, this is fulfilled in a very literal way because in John 18, when our Savior utters His words to them that speak about the cross and to Peter saying when we mentioned the last hour... Peter, you know, somebody said Peter wasn't a good swordsman. He aimed for the head and all he got was an ear. Now, we don't know that. He might have just been a warning shot, you know. Uh, the ear, I hope you got that. But, uh, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, the, the, the thing is, when he did that, Peter said, put the, or rather, excuse me, the Lord Jesus told Peter, put your sword in your sheath. The cup that my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? There's a reference to the cup that we see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke when our Lord was praying in the garden, remember? And He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I'm so glad He didn't end the prayer there, aren't you? I'm so glad He went on to say, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And He went out to drink that cup. And now the arrest is taking place. And as Peter is trying to defend the Lord Jesus, he said, put your sword up. The cup the Father's given me to drink. I must drink it. And He did. And after that, there's basically a silence 
to the disciples till Jesus says one thing to John, Behold thy mother at the cross. Even when Peter betrayed him, Jesus didn't say anything, but he did cut him a glance, didn't he? And what did Peter do? According to Luke, Peter went out and wept bitterly because Christ looked his way after Peter had said that final time, I don't know the man. But Christ was silent. And brothers and sisters, when we think about it, we see something of the resolve of Christ in that not only was He silent to His disciples, but in large measure, He was silent to those who were accusing Him. He was silent to those who were judging Him. He he did not engage. He did talk with them, yes. And He said some things to them. But anything that could have secured His release, He did not offer. Isaiah said it well in Isaiah 53. The words of verse 7, he wrote this, Speaking of the Lord Jesus, the suffering servant of Jehovah, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so He openeth not His mouth. Those words of Isaiah are so instructive there. He was a lamb brought to the slaughter, but he's also a sheep for a shearer. Because you see, I needed a sacrifice lamb who could pay my sin debt, but I also needed a lamb who could be sheared so I could have a new garment. Because all I had were the filthy rags of my righteousness. And I needed a robe of righteousness and a garment of salvation. And brothers and sisters, he's not only the lamb that's slain, he's the sheep that was sheared. So that you and I could have a garment for eternity. And when I get to the wedding feast, I'm not going to be asked, where's my wedding garment? Because I'm going to be wearing it. Hallelujah. I'm not going to enter glory in my own filthy rags. No. I'm going to enter with a spotless garment that Christ alone can give by grace. And brothers and sisters... Isaiah points that out. You see, the resolve of the Savior was as He spoke in the trials. And again, as they they so often say, He went from judgment hall to judgment hall. He did not answer. To the degree, in in Matthew 27, we read this of Pilate. Uh, Matthew 27, and the words there, verse 14, we read, and this is Pilate's question in verse 13. Uh, let me do one, go one more back. 12. Listen to the flow. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, again, Matthew 27, 12, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Why? Well, brothers and sisters, he spoke to Pilate in interchanges, John records, but when it came to the accusations against him, he would not, he would not speak. Why? Had he done so, he would have been freed. But he was not there to be freed. His resolve was that He must die for us. Bless His name, darling Lamb of God. 
Well, I have to say what we've sung. Oh, how I love Him, Savior and friend. How can my praises ever find in? Through years unnumbered on heaven's door, my, son, my tongue shall praise Him forevermore. He's worthy, I tell you. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy of praise. And he had that resolve that he would not back up and, and somehow miss that cup the Father had given him to drink. But, but then when we look at those words of John 14, we see not only the resolve of the Savior, hereafter I will not talk much with you, but we also see the reason. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Here's a sign of the cross that sometimes we don't think about. We think about the Father's judgment. We think about Him being sin-bearer and substitute, becoming our surety through His death at the cross. We think about... But we don't think about something else. When He died, the prince of this world showed up. You remember how the prince of the world had come when He began His public ministry after His baptism? And He tempted Him? And you remember what Dr. Luke records at the end of that narrative in Luke 4? He says, And the devil left him for a little season. But now the devil has his opportunity as the Son of God becoming sin for us. The Son of God is going to be exposed to the devils. And, and that's who the prince of this world is, by the way. He's called in 2 Corinthians 4 the God of this world. But, but here he's called the prince of this world because he is the ruler of this present world system. Now it doesn't belong to him that is this world, this earth planet, but this world system is under its control and domination. And we were too, Ephesians 2 tells us before we were saved. We, were, we walked according to the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the course of this world, the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the sons and children of disobedience. We were, we were like that. But brothers and sisters, as the prince of this world showed up, I like what Jesus said, He hath nothing in me. Can I be honest with you? There's handles all over me the devil could take hold of apart from the blood of Christ. He's got all kinds of things. Yep, there's one up there, there's another one. Oh boy, this guy's got handles everywhere for me. Body, soul, and spirit. The Lord Jesus had no handle for the evil one. John said this in 1 John 3 about him. In him is no sin. Because he was the sinless one, the only way the devil could get a hold of him is if he gave himself over at the cross, becoming sin for us. And that's what the Savior is going to do. He's going to give himself over, brothers and sisters, because the prince of this world is coming. Now, the Lord Jesus had made reference to him earlier in chapter 12, verse 31. And this is what it seems the prince of this world had not figured out. As the Lord Jesus spoke about his coming suffering in John 12, in verse 31, he said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. He was lifted up to die. And as that happened, the Lord Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world judged. He did not realize it. But when the Son of God was dealt with in judgment and death, 
the gavel dropped on the evil one. And I like to think of it this way. The head of the serpent was crushed. I, I think I told you some time back about my snake experience, didn't I? See, Sister Dietrich's not. I'm not going to give it to you again, but brothers and sisters, snake can, snake can wriggle and writhe a lot after its head's been crushed. The enemy's head's been crushed. The prince of this world met a death blow at the cross. And in principle, Christ won the victory now. The evil one's still wriggling and writhing. And he, he won't stop. But brothers and sisters, the victory's been won. The prince of this world has been defeated. And when he came, when Christ gave himself over as sin bearer and substitute in his person as God and man... And, 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 and in the infinite sufferer, infinite suffering of hell was poured out on Him on behalf of His people. When that happened, brothers and sisters, after He said it is finished, He drunk damnation dry, the devil lost his handle. And Peter said this in Acts 2.24. He said, it was impossible that He should be holding up at death. He said, God having loosed the pains of death, for it was not possible that He should be holding of it. The devil didn't have a handle. Christ, by becoming sin bearer and substitute, as it were, were, gave Him that handle. But He couldn't keep it. But ultimately the work was toward the Father, in which the Father was being satisfied for the penalty of our sin through the death of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the glory of what He did. I don't know if I shared this with you when I t- told my snake story, but uh, Stephen Olford was a preacher that pastored up at Calvary Baptist Church up in New York, Manhattan, I believe it was. Uh, we went by the church building one time. We were up there, drove by, and a small door because, you know, Manhattan things are expensive, and but they, they had a large building, I understand. But Brother Olford became a traveling preacher, and Brother Olford grew up on the mission field. John Phillips, who worked with Brother Olford, wrote biography of Brother Olford. And uh, he tells about how Frederick Olford, the father of Stephen Olford, there in the field of Africa, that one time some of the native people among whom he was working, there in, the, in Africa... Uh, they, they were having trouble with their crops. Monkeys were raiding their crops. So Mr. Olford, he got his gun and got up in a tree and he was just going to wait those monkeys out when they came on the crops. He was going to shoot them, let them know they weren't welcome and the African people's crops would be saved. Well, when he was up in that tree with the gun, he heard a hiss behind him and it was a black mamba. He wheeled around, shot blew that mamba's head off. The black people there called him Nagana, spiritual leader. They said, Nagana's God has done a miracle! Nagana's God has done a miracle! No man meets the mamba and lives! They got on their drums and they called in the tribes around and they had a celebration because Nagana's God had done a miracle. And I'll tell you about a greater miracle. The darling Son of God met the serpent of the cross. God as God did a miracle. My spiritual leader, my Lord Jesus, my shepherd. And He won the day! We can sing as Mr. Lowry did, shame on us, we break it out only next Sunday. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Savior. 
He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watch His bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they seal, his, seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Can't, can't keep Him. No deposit, no return. He made a deposit and He returned. He got up, brothers and sisters. He, he's alive, I tell you. And, and that, brothers and sisters, is what He makes reference to. But as we go back to John chapter 14, finally, let me ask you to notice those last words, the last verse, verse 31, in which we see Christ's submission. In Christ's speech, we see His prediction. In Christ's silence, we see His purpose. What He was going to do in His death, but in Christ's submission, we see His passion. Notice these words of verse 31. Talking about His cross, the Savior says, but the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Now notice our Savior as He speaks of His submission here to the Father's commandment. What was that commandment? That He would go to the cross. And He did so in obedience to the Father. And, 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 and yet, the Savior makes it clear that He did that. Why? Because I love the Father. Now here, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus in His nature and person among humanity is distinct from every one of us by nature. You say, but Brother David, I love God. Yes, but why do we love Him? We love Him because He first loved us. By nature, what were we? God-haters. I realize we may not realize it, but for all practical purposes, that's what I was for all the, for all the talk I gave about loving Him. I read my Bible some. I thought I'd prayed some, but I didn't love Him. I remember hearing a preacher from West Virginia, Fairmont, Katy area, there south of Fairmont. He told a story about he was with a preacher one time. And they were talking about a man in the community who died who was, a, from a human standpoint, a good good man. And This preacher that's talking to the brother I knew, he's, he's going on. And I said, that's a good man. I said, you know, I can't think of one, one bad thing to say about him. Can you? This brother Scott Richardson said, yeah, he hated God. You know, you think about it. That's the way most men live. They don't act like it. They don't say, I hate God, but they go on living life, not thinking about God, breathing God's air, not thanking Him for it, eating God's food, not thanking Him for it, having God's strength do the job, not thanking On and on it goes. You get my point? We're kind of like Esau as it tells about him back there in Genesis chapter 25 when he came in hungry. He hadn't been able to catch anything or get something that day. And Jacob was was making some pottage of lentils. Lentil soup. I've had some. It's good. And, 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 and it had some red in it too because he said, give me some of that red stuff, you know. But Esau said, I'm about to die. Give me something to eat. He said, sell me your birthright. Jacob was a trickster now, y'all. Sell me your birthright. Okay, what good is it if I die? He despised his birthright, the Bible says. But it says he ate, he got up, he went his way, and he despised his birthright. And that's basically how we've lived life apart from the grace of God. We've gone on forgetting what we were made for. We've gone on forgetting 
that we were God's image bearers. So that image is marred and ruined by the fall. We've been made for something more. And we live life and we feel like, well, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if you're a Bill Gates or a George Soros or a Bezos or a whoever's Zuckerberg. Don't matter how much money you got. When I was growing up as J. Paul Getty, that's how old I am. He was the richest man in the world. It's changed a lot since then. But if you live, all you live is to get what you get, then you've got what you've got and you're missing out. You see, loving Him is what matters. And He comes, born of a virgin womb as a man. God become man. And what does He do? He lives life doing what? Loving His Father. What was the ultimate test that He loved His Father? That He laid down His life for us sinners but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me a commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Y'all remember what the Lord Jesus said when somebody asked Him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And He said, the greatest commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt what? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us have done that. But here's one who has. Here's one who has loved the Father perfectly. How do I know that? Because the Father said about him in his baptism, this is my beloved Son. And what? In whom I'm well pleased. He couldn't say that about me and myself. But he could say that about the Son of God. That's why the Son of God had to become your substitute and my substitute. We needed someone to take our place because... We've not loved God as He deserved to be loved. We've not valued Him. We've not prized Him like He deserved to be. Oh, we prize some things. It may be a woman or a man. It may be that boy or girl that made you give that cross-eyed look, you know. It may be a, uh, maybe a house. Maybe a car. But maybe any number of things that you, you just put your love in. Maybe that job, you know. Because you can make production better than anybody else. A lot of things we love, but one thing we don't love is Him. Apart from grace that changes our heart so that we come to love Him. But Christ loved the Father. Christ valued, prized, and honored the Father. And that's why He went to the cross. And that's why He would say in those words of John 18 that we mentioned a little while ago in verse... 11, when Peter drew the sword, he said, Peter, put up thy sword, excuse me, he said unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And he said this all along. He said in John 6, 38 and following, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the will of Him that sent me. Of all which He has given me, I should lose nothing. How are you going to keep them, Lord? Well, i got to lay down my life for them. And that's what He said in John 10. This is my Father's commandment. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life up for the sheep. He went on to say, No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. And I take, I'm able to take it up again. In other words, he did all of that in obedience to the Father, brothers and sisters. And I remind you of what he said, that last statement. I'm able to take it up again. And he did that. Because of his supreme love for the Father, the Father's determined this. 
Philippians 2 tells us about it. I made reference to verses 5 through 8 earlier this morning, last hour. But brothers and sisters, Philippians 2, 9 through 11 goes on to say about Him who humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It says this, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guess what? Putin's going to bow. Zelensky's going to bow. Satan's going to bow. Bahula's going to bow. Allah's going to bow. Muhammad's going to bow. Buddha's going to bow. Krishna's going to bow. Confucius's going to bow. Everyone's going to bow. I'm going to bow. But here's the good news. Salvation's bowing ahead of time. Salvation's coming to him now and saying, You're the Lord, and I'm bowing gladly and willingly. I want to be with you forever. I want your blood to cleanse me. I want you to do that work that you're... Brothers and sisters, and that's God's pleasure. God is pleased when men come and honor the Son. In fact, when we honor the Son, the Bible tells us in John chapter 5, we honor the Father. Because He loves His Son that much. And the good news is out of every race, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people, there are going to be those who love and honor the Son and honor the Father by honoring the Son. And I ask you this morning, are you one of those? By the grace of God, if you come to believe on the Lord Jesus and to know Him in the pardon and forgiveness of sin, do you know in that work which he, with which He loved you, He was loving the Father supremely. And as He did that, He was accomplishing what He alone could do. And now you and I have the privilege of honoring Him as He honored the Father, of loving Him as He loved the Father. May we do that. May we go out and may our lives be living letters of Him that others might see Jesus in us. Him writer wrote about that in order to him of invitation. While passing through this world of sin and others, your life shall view. Be clean and pure without within. Let others see Jesus in you. He wrote, your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Can others see Jesus in you? Oh, may they see Him in me. They see David Morris. If you see David Morris this morning, you ain't seen much. But if somehow by the grace of God you saw the Lord Jesus Christ, you saw something worthwhile. And that, brothers and sisters, is what Christ came to do. Because He loved the Father, that passion of His life, loving the Father. May we love Him too.